Psychotronic, denoting or relating to a genre of movies, typically with a science fiction, horror, or fantasy theme, that were made on a low budget or poorly received by critics. Greetings and salutations, or should I say long days and pleasant nights. There are other worlds than these, and today we're traveling to them with our good friend Dave Musson from the YouTube channel Dave Reads King, where he discusses all things Stephen King. His spoiler-free review of King's newest novel, Fairy Tale, is up now, so give, give that a watch. But in the meantime, Dave joins our content today to talk about the birthday boy, Stephen King. That's right, on September 21st, the man who gave us Pennywise, Jack Torrance, Christine Cujo, and the Tommyknockers, and okay, I guess the shit weasels too, Emily, turned 75, <laughs> and to celebrate, we are going to be talking about his works translating over to psychotronic filmmaking. Before we put our party hats on and share our thoughts, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? And really quickly, can you tell us why Stephen King means so much to you and so much, in fact, that you dedicate an entire YouTube channel to his works? yeah sure uh, thank you so much for having me it's um it's always a yeah. pleasure to to be a guest on something like this and particularly a show that I've been listening to and enjoying and um getting a lot out of yeah I really appreciate you having thank me you. on so I mean I guess the short answer is he's my favorite author and I was looking for an excuse to have a go at trying YouTube that the more interesting version of that is I guess my brain when I get into something my brain doesn't just allow me to enjoy it. It, it sort of turns me into this evangelist mode and I have to try and create content around those things that I enjoy and shout into the void about it. So yeah, I started this this channel thinking very few people would, would bother watching. And I think through a combination of having fairly okay content, but more importantly, being very consistent with my schedule, being quite reliably there every week, people have just subscribed I think just to just because they keep seeing me and they're, they're just I don't know perhaps they hope I'll go away if I if they pay me a little bit of attention so yeah I'm at a point now where people I'm kind of a very very minor Stephen King influencer I'm in that sort of sweet spot between I was given an advanced review copy of Finn the short story this year yeah but I'm nowhere near advanced review copies of his actual books so <laughs> It puts me somewhere in the middle, but I'll take it. I'm very happy. Yeah, exactly. Still, still a pretty cool place to be. But yeah, yeah. we're also joined today by uh, the biggest fan of Stephen King's newest novel, Fairy Tale, Emily Winter. Oh boy, <laughs> Emily, Wait. how are you? How are you doing? And when's the first time that you remember reading Stephen King? I am doing fine. Fairy tale was fine. I don't need to get a hater reputation. Two big novels in a row. So that's all I Yeah, that was say. that was bait. In mixed company about fairy tale. I'll I'll save it for the conspiracy boards. Um, but my first king was actually what year did Under the Dome come out? That's a Dave question. Two thousand something. Was that nine? Okay. Yeah. So that was my first king. And I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it right up until the end and then I hated it and I was like oh the people are right this guy can't write endings because it's the only one I'd read in my defense so I'd you know right. heard the scuttlebutt and then I did not go back to him until 2014 when I read The Dark Tower someone I worked with suggested it she'd been reading it she was older she'd been reading it since it came out 
So I kind of had to jump on her because I got to just read them all in a row. So I started Gunslinger and then just went straight through the series. And then nice. I went back and read literally everything else. So D- Dave, That's I didn't ask you that question. <laughs> what what was your first king? So my first king was was Cujo. And I'd had I'd had years of my parents sort of saying, oh, you, sh- you should give Stephen King a try. I think you'd like him. Because I, I, when I was a kid, I was really into Roald Dahl. And then got oh, into yeah. goosebumps. And I think yeah. I think the oh, transition yeah. from Roald Dahl to Stephen King is not it's not actually that weird because Roald Dahl stuff is pretty dark. Yeah, it's yeah. A pretty um, natural progression. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I, I I was browsing in a um a secondhand bookshop and found a copy of Cujo for for about a pound or or something. Um, picked that up and and went through it and loved it. And then at that point, it was kind of pre pre the sort of the 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 sort of bit of a buzz around king when it came out so it was really mm-hmm. easy to pick up his books secondhand in charity shops and thrift stores over here so without spending very much money at all i quickly like accumulated his entire works and just started plowing through them so that was 2010 um and i'm now at the point where i've i've read everything at least twice but um yeah he just, <laughs> yeah, just hooked <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, before we started recording, Dave was telling us how he's about to read Billy Summers for the third time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. A, a true, and an historian. Yeah, I guess the the first thing that I ever remember seeing Stephen King related was the cover for Skeleton Crew with a monkey on the front. And mm-hmm. it was sitting on my dad's mm-hmm. coffee table. And then, it, and I didn't really know what it was at the time, but then I ended up seeing that cover again and so I asked my dad, I was like, hey, where's that copy of Skeleton Crew that you have? I, I wanted to read it. He's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? So then I built this whole story in my head about how it was a ghost book. But anyway, because he had no <laughs> was, recollection of owning that of skeletons, book. yeah. Yeah, exactly. He had no recollection of owning that book. But <laughs> nice. so what we're going to do today is we're going to be picking one existing film that is out there right now that we believe fits the bill as being psychotronic. We'll throw some honorable mentions in there as well. But once we've done that, we're each going to give two of King's works, and this can be anything, novel, novella, short story, politically charged tweet, that we think would make a great psychotronic film. And these aren't necessarily unadapted works, but ones that we'd like to see be done today in that psychotronic spirit. So, Dave... Happy Stephen King's birthday. What's your first pick? Indeed. Happy birthday to, to the great man. Um, <laughs> so I guess I guess at first I, I found this to be quite a, a tough task until I then remembered that actually most people in the world don't think about Stephen King all day like I do. So, you know, I was thinking <laughs> about your guys' definition of psychotronic movies and yeah. like none of them are forgotten to me because I'm always thinking about them, but that's they probably are to most of the wider world. So once I got over mm-hmm. that, it was much easier. Like you just, you know, I was flicking through my copy of um, the book, Stephen King at the movies by, by Ian Nathan, which is a really good collective of all his work. And I was going through and realized that actually, you know, we're, we're absolutely totally fucking spoiled for choice with this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess ones that I considered before I settled on my choice. So I think Cat's Eye, you know, anthologies from the eighties, they just mm-hmm. naturally feel like they fit in this world. The Night Flyer, because it's about a vampire who flies around in a plane and has a giant tusk. Um, Those are great choices. I mean, any of the hundreds of Children of Corn movies. And, and that, the Tales from the Dark Side sense. movie. 
Yeah, yeah. And the Tales from the Dark Side movie, although I thought that was a stretch because only one segment was a King story. So so part that one. And then we would have allowed it though. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it is it's definitely one worth checking out for sure. And then I almost plumped for thinner, but then it turns out that that mm. one is based on a book by some guy called Richard Bachman. Um, Who's so that? I've been that one off. No, that idea. would have been embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> it would. It would. And I, I, I didn't want to come on as a supposed king expert and talk about some <laughs> other guy's work. So, yeah, I I finally landed on on a film from 1992, and that one is Sleepwalkers. H- have you guys seen Sleepwalkers before? I get into my ramblings about it. I've actually never seen Sleepwalkers. It's one I've never, that I've, I've never seen it. I've always mean to, meant to finally get around to, and for whatever reason, I just have not watched it yet. But after this, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to. Okay, well, yeah. let, let me tell you, Sleepwalkers <laughs> is is wild, and and I, I know we I know when we were planning this, we were talking about potentially like making our case for why it's psychotronic. And I was thinking about, okay, how am I going to approach this for Sleepwalkers? And then I read the opening paragraph of the plot description on the movie's Wikipedia page. It was like, that's it. I'm literally reading that out because <laughs> that does it. So if you will allow me, I will quote from Wikipedia. Exciting. Charles Brady and his mother slash lover, Mary, are sleepwalkers. Nomadic, shape-shifting energy vampires who feed off the life force of virgin women. Uh, though they normally maintain a human form, <laughs> they can transform into human-sized bipedal werecats, which is their natural form, <laughs> and they can do this at will. And they have powers of both telekinesis and illusion. And here's the twist. Domestic cats are their only weakness, and the two species are mutually hostile. Yeah. And those domestic cats can see through their illusions and violently attack them, inflicting severe to fatal wounds on them with their claws and teeth. So we've got werecats, whose mortal enemy is um, cats. We've got a mother who basically keeps herself alive in between kills by having sex with her son. Um, oh, naturally. We, we do get some gratuitous scenes of. Um Ooh. We've got beasts that live off the life force of, of virgin women, um, obviously. So, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And, and that's without even watching the movie. That's literally just reading a little bit of the Wikipedia page. Um, well, I can tell you right now, I'm team werecats. 100%. <laughs> if I got to choose werecats or cats, I'm going with the werecats. Yeah, so same fair. I, I don't understand <laughs> your your hate for cats. Just They, they know uh, what they did. Uh, that's probably that's probably an off off pod discussion. <laughs> they know. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm yeah, I'm fuck cats. I'm 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 on that as well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> even with my idiot idiot dog in the room with me, I'm still I'm still <laughs> team dog. Anyway, anyway, so sleepwalkers. Um this one's interesting because this is this is Stephen King's first ever project where he just wrote something purely for the screen. So this this is not an adaptation of a novel or a short story. Um, it's not been given the the novelization treatment, which I'm, I'm sure Emily is sad about. Oh, you will be once you've you've watched the movie. Um, I so will write it myself if I have to. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that's that's that settled. Um, so this is this is King just writing like let's face it, a batshit crazy screenplay and then teaming up with um, the well-known sensible director, Mick Garris, who 
definitely never does anything campy, pulpy, or psychotronic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time they worked together in their career, as far as I can tell, actually, because this is oh, pretty. Nice. This is pretty. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. I think this is where they, yeah, I think this is where they met. So anyway, we, you go into the film and we know we're in for a treat right from the credits. So we have the the opening credits are like this, an excerpt from this um, fictional book called the Encyclopedia of Arcane Knowledge, which apparently was something that Garris inserted to try and try and attempt to give us some backstory, which uh, is is an interesting idea. Um, and this this excerpt <laughs> claims that the sleepwalkers are probably the source of the vampire legend, which is which is bold to say the least. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, and true. <laughs> <laughs> and then the plot. So I mean, there isn't really a plot, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I was say, well, that's the, a story, not much plot, it sounds like. Yeah. The the special effects are um interesting and the the kills are pretty extraordinary as well i mean we get one one particular highlight um i can't think of any other movie where you'd see things like a police officer getting stabbed in the back with an ear of corn followed by the line no vegetables no dessert that's the rule or we get two police yeah we get two police cars exploding um just after a single bullet hits them there's a guy who has his hand ripped off after being told that some folk need to keep them hands their hands to themselves we get someone's eye being taken out by a corkscrew um and then there's the quite hilarious one where a guy basically sort of gets scratched or slapped in the face staggers a little bit holding his face sees that he's near a lamp and then just throws himself into the lamp and dies it's it's quite he dies yeah yeah it's i've got to watch this yeah, it's wild. It's wild. You basically read off a psychotronic checklist. It's <laughs> I know. Like, like yeah, uh, this pretty much covers all the bases. We we got it all in here. The the cast is an interesting one to look at as well. So um so the the hero, the 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 lead, the final girl, whatever we're calling her, um Tanya, she's played by Mei Chin Amick. So she was fresh off Twin Peaks at this point. Um she's pretty good. And Charles Brady, who is like the lead sleepwalker he's played by brian Krause, and and weirdly looks like someone i went to school with although i have no idea if that guy was sleeping with his his mother um not really something you ask him for like company uh say um, his name let's see if he calls in it's a tough thing but, to bring up yeah I, i'll maybe hold fire on putting him out there publicly yeah. <laughs> um but i think it's the extended cast list where it gets it gets fun so we've got ron perlman is one of the police officers which is like years before he he did something similar in desperation which is probably also pretty psychotronic that mini series for sure um, we have glenn shaddix who is the english teacher mr fallows who is like your classic campy horror character we've got mark hamill doing an uncredited appearance at the start with a, a quite exceptional mustache um, oh but the real highlight is a little bit in the middle where we have Stephen King playing a cemetery keeper. And then we've got a bunch of like police technicians who are made up of Toby Hooper, Clive Barker, Joe Dante and John Landis. And all of them are terrible at acting. And it is brilliant. It's one of the best scenes in the film. Stephen King just going around repeating the same line to every character and basically all of them (laughs) telling him to go away. Um, so yeah, I was looking into the reviews of this, and Variety called it a, an idiotic horror pot boiler. Um, and I can say that having watched it again to prepare for this chat, that is entirely accurate and at the same time wildly untrue. 
I think I found <laughs> like the the acting is over the top. Yeah, the script is pretty bad. Yeah, and the second half in particular is just it just completely goes off the rails. But you're never you're never bored. Um, and this movie also has one of the most iconic "what the fucks" I have ever heard <laughs> delivered. Um, so yeah, that is I think that's that's my case. And the soundtrack is by Nicholas Pike as well, which seems like a strange mix because he's he's always seemed like quite a sensible man um, up until this. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had a lovely time watching it first time, a lovely time watching it again. Um, and there we go. That's my case for, for Sleepwalkers. I am genuinely excited to watch this now. I think you had me at Guy throws himself into a lamp after the fact and then dies. Yeah. I just love moments like that where they're like, we'll just we'll just cheat a little bit. No one, no one will notice. Does it make any sense? Gonna, it doesn't matter. It tonight. doesn't matter. Just do it. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. yeah, do it. Oh, yeah. so I'm really excited. Pluto TV. So it is out there is to that watch like an for app? free. I don't have that. That's an app. Yeah, I'll get that. Pluto, yeah, it's. Uh, I was gonna say it's kind of like Tubi. It sort of okay. is. It's free ads, oh. that kind of thing. I mean, that sounds yep. like a movie I would pay three ninety nine for, but free is better. Yeah, I, I know what I'm gonna be doing after this tonight. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> that's incredible. No, that's uh, hot start. Because yeah, that that's gonna be tough <laughs> to top. You know, I mentioned shit weasels earlier and. Just what a word to say. But Emily, I think that is uh, relevant to your first pick. Am I right? It is. I don't want to follow that because I don't have like a very thoughtful, well <laughs> put together treatise. As I said, that's movie. the greatest like salesmanship for sleepwalkers that that movie will ever get. Yeah. Like ever has or ever will get. are going to watch it today. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So I just personally me just went with my heart on this one and you can say maybe this isn't psychotronic but it is and I'll basically tell you why and I think you'll all agree with me I went with Dreamcatcher which I think Dave knew I had it like we all knew I was going with Dreamcatcher and oh, yeah. I just want to put out there again for the world I've said this before this is not a ironic love or like a hot take or like an edgy take I unabashedly unironically top to bottom love this book and this movie I think the movie's perfect so and I'll say okay here's my reason I think it's psychotronic one it's weird and my key moment would be when Thomas Jane picks up the gun as a phone and answers it and is like hello Jonesy you know that's (laughs) that might be my favorite moment in the whole thing and you know what whatever so they were going for it also, it had a budget of like 68 million. It only made 75. So it was mainstream, big cast, had a big budget, but it was a flop. So I think we can say- A yeah, great cast. That's, that's psychotronic too. Yeah. So I know we had talked about having honorable mentions. I have no honorable mentions because this is peak. Peak in my heart is Dreamcatcher. So what can follow up perfection? But it's got a superstar team, right? It's got Lawrence Kasdan doing the screenplay and directing. Um, William Goldman doing the screenplay from Magic. Everybody knows him from Magic, well, right? William 1978. Goldman. <laughs> yeah, of course. Amazing movie. Also, just I read that book he wrote. He recently, which was really good. I recommend that to Heat's everybody good. as well. Unrelated, unrelated to Heat 2 that just came out. But everybody should read that. And then you've got Morgan Freeman, Tom Sizemore, Timothy Oliphant, Jason Lee, Damian Lewis, and King Superstar, who we already mentioned, Tom Jane, and Donnie Wahlberg, who... That's the only time we're going to talk about him today. We're just, we're not going to mention him or, or his character, except, you know what, we will say the end. I'm just going to spoil it when he turns into an alien. That's psychotronic because we've already established on here, aliens, psychotronic. Mm-hmm. You throw aliens I, in, it automatically becomes psychotronic. Those, those are the rules. 
It's that simple. I, th- I think yeah. you should also throw in a mention for Morgan Freeman's eyebrows because yeah. they are quite spectacular. The eyebrows are great. He, he got the assignment. His face got the assignment. Everybody, everybody came to play. So I think people talk a lot about what went, like what went wrong, what a disaster this movie was, how it should have worked with the talent. And I just don't. Did we watch a different movie? Because this movie worked. Oh, man. I, I hope we have enough time tonight to watch Sleepwalkers and Dreamcatcher. Will you watch it again? How many times have you seen it? Dreamcatcher? I've never seen Dreamcatcher. Oh, I've, wow. I, I know. No, I've, I've read the book, but I've never True. gotten around to watching the movie. So I, I, I might have to do a a weird ass Stephen King double feature tonight and just all this time we've been friends we've been talking about it he's been like acting like he knows oh shoot I feel uh, like I just spoiled the ending now oh well, no I, just, I, I, just I know a little detail but no I mean I know through just proxy I guess at this point all about it just because I've heard so many yeah. people talk about it and like I've read the book obviously but um okay. oh but no, that's it's true. funny that the two the two that y'all have mentioned are two of like my big king movie blind spots well you have to do a double feature i was gonna just like just there's so many weird scenes so much bathroom talk you know oh, yeah. not normally my jam but so, works here so much i mean you've got timothy oliphant pretend drunk in the snow telling a dead <laughs> body about how he thinks his friend is an alien and god bless him he goes for it and i i think he does sell it like part of part of that speech does not work it's it's not good and you can tell he's uncomfortable with it but then there's a moment where he kind of he locks in you know and and academy awards where were you you know (laughs) i and i I am a bit higher on the book than i feel like a lot of people are i really do enjoy that book and i think especially within the context of where king was at that time following his accident and a lot of the pain that he was experiencing a lot of the loss of faculties he was experiencing you know it it shines through in the book and I don't know I think when you put it in that context it does make it a much more enjoyable read yeah I was I did just reread it and I was a little worried that I was remembering it wrong and I wouldn't enjoy it quite as much I as I enjoyed like defending it but actually, I just had a great time. Still, I was like waiting for the moment in the middle where it kind of slogs. And then I got to the end and I was like, there is no moment in the middle. Everybody's lying. It's great. It's all great. Emily, Emily you, you said you said you think the movie's perfect, which yeah. is which is a, a liberal, a, a liberal um, <laughs> taking of the word perfect. I've seen it th- four times. Four, Emily, think it would- four? Wow. Yeah. I love do think, it. Do you think it would be better if it had the bacon in from the book? Oh, that's a tough question. I, oh my gosh, I gotta think about this. I think there's a way to make the bacon work. Mm-hmm. Because you know what, that scene with the cash register guy was really good too, but I can see, you know, why they had to cut it out. But I think for me personally, there's absolutely could be even better with the bacon. I think you do lose a few more people if you put in the bacon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they couldn't <laughs> yeah. afford to lose anybody exactly yeah and and, i mean you know obviously i haven't seen it so i can't really say anything but you've never seen halloween but you've seen dreamcatcher four times i've seen the first halloween oh that's right it's halloween two and the rest that you haven't seen that's yeah everything in between the first halloween and then hollow green i have not seen yet yet gotcha yeah gotcha so unfortunately our good friend donnie could not be here today but he did give us some picks to uh to read over so 
It's going to give you Donnie's first pick. And his is the Dark Tower. And I'm just going to read oh, verbatim wow. what Donnie has. It. Yeah, no. It was, let's, see, let's see how he's, he's backing this one up. So Donnie says, just because a movie is psychotronic doesn't mean I have to like it. Okay, I see where he's going. So yeah, <laughs> yes, the budget was rather large by psychotronic standards. But as far as what should have been an epic, effects-heavy fantasy slash western slash horror, the budget was low. Critically panned, absolutely. Audience panned, absolutely. Commercial failure, once again, absolutely. As someone who calls this series his favorite of all time, this film was particularly frustrating for me. It's all over the place, trying to combine bits and pieces from multiple full-length novels in the seven-book series into a 90-minute feature. It's a, it's a good point. It's very jumbled. It fails. The effects are underwhelming. Mm -hmm. The story is underwhelming. The plotting is all over the place. Idris is good and does the best he can with what he was given, but it just misses the entire point. We go from a series of the gunslinger is the main character and his most definite character trait is his obsession with reaching the tower at all costs. To this pile... <laughs> Here we go. Here's Donnie. <laughs> to this pile of YA shit where the kid is the main character and the gunslinger is sworn off the tower altogether... Eat shit and live, Akiva Goldsman. So there, there you go. Don, Donnie, while he's not here in person, he is here in spirit because that's that's Donnie. But yeah, yeah he, he made some really good points in there. It is so jumbled and a really great book series, really unique book series is, you know, boiled down to this 90 minute, like he said, sort of YA amalgam. So. Yeah, I do have a disagreement though. What would you got? Which is that Idris is good. I think Ooh. people want. I think people want to find something good in the movie, like something to hold on to. So they're looking at something that's just fine and going, "That's good." And I think he's got the goodwill because he is generally like a very good actor in the movie. I think he's boring. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything, and that's not Idris's fault, but that doesn't automatically mean he's good because he in life is a good actor. I think the character is flat, and his acting is just as flat as everybody else's. Yeah, I almost, Dave, what are I your thoughts like on he, the tower? I, on Idris, like, I almost feel like he doesn't have enough to do to make a sound judgment on whether he's good or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because mm. it's it feels so obsessed with, like, Oh look! Here's a picture of the Overlook. Here's a here's a red and white Plymouth Fury. Here's a huge Saint Bernard. Look at all these things. Look, look, look. We like Stephen <laughs> King too. Look, look at this. Yeah. Saying, uh, yeah. But you're trying to tell, like, this guy's epic masterpiece, mm -hmm. and you're failing miserably. Yeah. I mean, I re I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, it's just you you know it's you know you're not enjoying yourself when. <laughs> you've sort of spent the first 20 minutes of the movie you've you've sort of rinsed imdb you've looked at the wikipedia page and then you just back on twitter reading about <laughs> politics so, yeah. Um, yeah yeah such a letdown such a huge letdown and the best thing about it's it's brevity so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because at least it's only it's about true. 90 minutes and it's not one of these rambling quote-unquote epics where it is going on well, this for two is like and a half one of hours. the times where I would say, why is it only 90 minutes? Not this specific one, yeah. but this property in general. Yeah, I think when it was announced, everybody was like, Nin 90 minutes? I'm yeah. a little, I'm worried. <laughs> like, I think that well, was they, the first little ping of worry. Because they, they sure. went into it, like, with this sort of almost arrogant position of like, okay, we'll, we'll just get this, like, 90-minute starter out there. And then 
you know the the series the franchise will just be handed to us and we can we can we can sort of mm. rinse everyone for for the next 10 years and then we'll really try yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, but yeah. it just it just screws up any potential for any actual proper adaptation of this series now because everyone's going everyone's going to look at that and go, but the, but like you blew it. Yeah. To quote King from from Hearts in Atlantis, you blew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's I definitely mean, tainted now. Our only hope is for Donnie to become a billionaire so he can get the pilot released. Other than other than that, we're out of luck. It's just a matter yeah. of time. Just a matter Maybe, of time. Yeah, <laughs> but, but going from uh, epic to um, a textile mill, <laughs> graveyard shift <laughs> from 1990 is is my. Couldn't have two like more different King properties than the Dark Tower and Graveyard Shift. So Graveyard Shift was from 1990, directed by Ralph Singleton, written by John Esposito, and. It's based on one of King's older short stories, which was featured in Cavalier magazine originally and ended up in his outstanding collection of short stories, Night Shift, which for my money is still my favorite King short story collection. I love, 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 love Night Shift. And a lot of the stories in that collection would make fantastic psychotronic movies. Dave, I can't remember if this was before we started recording, but you mentioned Cat's Eye and yeah that was in my honorable mentions wasn't it and okay a couple okay of night shift stories in there that's right and like the ledge and quitters inc those two oh, as yeah, well are very much in that sort of realm but this the sensitive story of a man who is working the graveyard shift at a textile mill trying to eradicate the rats that have seemingly made the place their home there's a creepy atmosphere foreboding speeches by brad duraf playing an exterminator gross creatures and gratuitous allusions to Stephen King but to make this movie even more kingy it was actually shot in Maine so the textile mill itself was in Harmony Maine to be specific and several of the interior shots were actually in Bangor Maine where his home is located but so uh, actually my wife and I took the Stephen King tour gosh I guess it was like two years ago now which is great by the way if you ever get out that way make sure you go and do it but we were able to see where some of the uh, scenes were shot, including the waterworks. And I can't remember the exact story that he told, but apparently like the rats got loose. <laughs> like they, for the movie, oh they God. had gotten all these rats and apparently they got loose. Ugh. Yeah. And the textile mill was called uh, Bachman Mills. I don't know who Bachman is. Maybe y'all can tell me. Uh, not sure <laughs> why they, not sure why they chose that name. Stephen King himself was not quite a fan of the movie, calling it a quick exploitation picture. And while I agree with him, you know, it it is a quick exploitation film. I think our feelings on the matter differ quite a bit. I I have a lot of fun with this movie. It's, I love a creature feature. I I believe at the heart of this (laughs) film, it is a creature feature. And, you know, it feels like one that would be perfectly at home at the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs. Like if he ever did a King adaptation, I feel like this would be like firmly within that wheelhouse. But, and then I was looking at the budget because I was like, God, they, they could not have made this for more than, you know, four or 5 million. It had a $10.5 million budget. And Whoa, was it all no, on rats? I, I, it had to have been. 
I, I yeah. don't know where else it's going but because i mean look it's it's a it's a cheap movie and it looks it yeah. i love it for its faults but uh it only grossed 11.5 million so it was a flop oh my God. yeah yeah absolutely a flop but you know when i'm thinking about psychotronic films what it means and you get some of this ah, it's grimy it's gritty there's creatures there's uh questionable dialogue you know it 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 all fits in there for me to make i think it's a a really fun psychotronic flick i gotta be honest i have not seen it same so i was busy watching Dreamcatcher four times just one less what one less Dreamcatcher watch and you're watching graveyard ship yeah but it's on my list now too so that's horrifying I'm not sure where it's streaming, but this is one of those that for some reason, I, I've read this story several times. Uh, just, I, I, yeah. I don't know, but audiobook, I've read it several. It's just one of those that I'm like, man, I want King, but just something sort of more bite-sized. This is usually where I go mm-hmm. to. But- I think if you, um, if, you take out, if you take out sequels and stuff, basically this one and the Mangler are pretty much the only the only two King adaptations I've not seen yet. And I, mm. I did try watching right. Graveyard Shift. I found a, a rip of it on YouTube, but then I started watching it and it was dubbed with Russian over the top. Oh, no. So I gave up on that. Because over here, like I've seen it on DVD, but it's it's like pushing, th- what would it be, about $30 for, for you guys. Wow. It's ridiculous. Like all other King films from the 80s and 90s, you can just pick up for next to nothing. And this just seems That's to, crazy. I don't know, I don't know what it is about it. So I've, you know, I'm not going to yeah, spend that much money. Much. On it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I just looked I'll, it up. I mean, I you can get, get it for 20 bucks day. on Blu-ray here. Hmm. That's still, I mean, yeah. I haven't seen it, but that does feel like too much. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's absolutely too much. I, I'd say, you know, if you can find it to rent for a couple bucks, you know, like, I think there's a DVD here that's $5 that I just found. That's more about <laughs> what you yeah. should spend on this one. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Emily, do you want to read Donnie's second pick? Yes. So Donnie's second pick, and again, uh, is Eyes of the Dragon, which is relevant right now because which is better, Eyes of the Dragon or Fairy Tale? I could Eyes not say. Dragon. I would never... I would never. They <laughs> that's say, that's I a quick say, answer from Dave. Yeah, I I think Eyes of the Dragon is more focused on on what it wants to be than Fairy Tale is what I will say. So it's maybe more successful, but we're not here to talk about that. But let's see. Donnie says um, this one will be expensive though because if it was made on a shoestring today, it would be S H I T. I want money to be spent to travel back in time to 1985 and produce this film right after the book was published. I want it to be shot at 007's Pinewood Studios. Side note, Barbara Broccoli is the best name I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) And he wants it to be directed by Peter Yates. Yes, basically, I want the entire Krull crew cast included to make this film. He's not backing down from his Krull take, and I do appreciate (laughs) that. I support that. I wanted to read this one because I would not watch that no offense to crawl but we saw we saw crawl once i don't think i need to see crawl 2.0 again although you know what if our buddy Graham McGrath was in it present day i i would watch it so maybe he's on to something yeah I, 
the eyes of the dragon i did really enjoy eyes of the dragon without reading fairy tale uh, i'm gonna say eyes of the dragon's better <laughs> but, uh, yeah i i actually the first time i read eyes of the dragon was on accident because i i found myself reading too much king and i went to this bookstore and they were they had books where it's like a blind date with a book have you ever seen that oh yeah mm-hmm. covered up and so i read the description i was like oh okay that you know that sounds like something <laughs> a little bit different than i usually read and took it home unwrapped it and there was eyes of the dragon so i was like you went on a blind date with like your favorite author <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it was king showed up was like just kidding it's me <laughs> i I don't totally know. Eyes of the Dragon is pretty straightforward fantasy, though. I don't know how you would make that so psychotronic. Dave, have you seen Krull? I have not seen Krull, no. Oh yeah, it's on, it's on my list, having, having <laughs> listened to your episode on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, Eyes of the Dragon. I, I, guess you, I guess you'd need to really focus on the... Um, the the flag character and mm-hmm. and the weird the weird parrot and the um the the sort of standing for the necronomicon or whatever it's called it did totally talk kind about of, the parrot kind yeah of it wasn't there an adaptation plan through like hulu at one point and it fell through yes. yeah okay. from the last couple of years wasn't it there yeah, was yeah, going to yeah. be a mini series or something i almost feel like you could you could do an animated version of this that that fit the story quite quite well i think that would be cool. Kind of in that old like Disney style animation too. Yeah. Like or, Sleeping like, Beauty style. Yeah, the the anim yeah, the, the style of animation that they used in Creep Show 2 for the wraparound story. That's sort of late 80s, mm. early oh, 90s. I have not seen Creep Show 2 yet. Ah, that that's that's what I'm picturing in my head for sure. Interesting. It would be a good right, way well, to go about it. You know, Donnie's the billionaire, so he can make whatever movie he yep. wants. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we're kind of getting now into stories where they're not adapted or maybe they've been adapted and we want to do them a little bit differently. And that's where my second pick falls is it's one that has been adapted, air quotes, but not really. So my first one is a little bit of a cheat because we're talking about ones that haven't been adapted, but The Lawnmower Man has never actually been adapted, right? So... That's the movie. Maybe. There's a movie from 1992 directed by Brett Leonard, which bears pretty much no resemblance whatsoever to the original story. So much so that Stephen King sued to have his name removed and won that suit. And I was talking to Donnie about it yesterday, and he said, if it's not a naked dude munching grass, it's not the lawnmower man. <laughs> and I, I can't, I, I would never have put it so poetically that I cannot help but agree with him. It, it's completely true. And that's what I would want, right? Is you do this faithfully, you adapt the lawnmower man, which is out of all the short stories I've, re- I've read by King, it's one of his most bizarre. But you, you can feel his admiration for stories like The Great God Pan by Arthur Machen and other weird tales, maybe Lovecraft thrown in there as well. This is another one that is also collected in Night Shift. Again, love that collection. I'll try to give a short synopsis for the story real quick, but a man hires a lawn service and all seems normal until the lawn service man gets buck naked and starts eating the grass. I think that's about about sums it up. But Mm -hmm. he doesn't work for pastoral greenery and outdoor services. He actually works for Pan. Now, this would probably work better as like a creep show segment where you don't have to spend 90 minutes on it. 
I think you could probably stretch this out to 85 minutes or so, get a shutter original out of it, lean in, make it as gross as you possibly can. And not sure if you've seen the movie Glorious. It was a shutter original that got released here recently. It was uh, produced by Barbara Crampton, which that tells you why I watched it. But no, it was directed by Rebecca McKendry and it balances humor and that sort of cosmic horror really well. And I think she would do an outstanding job with this one, making it fun, gross, but also genuinely scary because the story is unsettling. I'm talking about how kind of goofy and funny it is, but it is a scary story and one that I think, if faithfully adapted, could be really interesting. I have not seen the current lawnmower man so i'll hold off so that i can watch your your version thank you thank you i'm working on the funding right now we'll we'll see i'll let y'all let y'all know kind of where i'm at with it um we currently have the five dollars that are in my back pocket that's the that's the budget that we have right now but we're working on it good got to start somewhere got got (laughs) to start somewhere then my second pick is the wedding gig from skeleton crew i'd never hear anybody Mm. talk about this story but the wedding gig from the skeleton crew collection and originally it showed up in the december 1980 issue of ellery queen's mystery magazine and it's it's been a while since i've read this one i've read graveyard shift and the lawnmower man much more recently but the wedding gig to me feels like a mid-80s grimy sort of movie that would be directed by larry cohen or bill lustig and (laughs) it's it's told from the pov of a band leader during prohibition i'd want to move it more into the 80s get that neon backlighting the huge hair but the story revolves around mike scully scully who hired the narrator's jazz band and for us in my 80s movie this would be some sort of synth band to play the wedding of his sister and her tiny fiance. There's threats of blackmail, insults in front of guests, and shortly after Mike gets killed, his sister takes over the business, turns it into this massive criminal empire, and is ready to get revenge on the people that killed her brother. Then boom, heart attack. Now, I left out a lot of the very troubling, fat, phobic Stephen King uh, parts of it. I feel like I don't remember this one at all. Yeah, it's it's one that I actually think would work better as a screenplay. Like, I, I it's fine, but it's just sort of smack smack dab in the middle of Skeleton Crew, if I remember correctly. And I, I don't know, it's it's one that I never hear anybody talk about. It's probably it's the one, two, three, four, five, six. It's the seventh story in Skeleton Crew. Yeah, and th- there's no reason for the bride to be this grossly obese person none at all none. like having having the groom as a really short tiny man that that's fine as it is that's <laughs> that's all you need so yeah i like your treatment better drew yeah you you don't you don't need all that and you can still have the story and i do i, I feel like it works better as sort of that gritty grimy 80 like 1985 set movie somewhere in new york than it does as a Stephen King, but you can, I mean, it'll be a hit because you got Stephen King's name attached to it. Mm-hmm. What's the movie where there's the keyboard player and they keep singing, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me over and over? Is that The Wedding Singer? Because that's that, the only song they know. It, um, that's what I'm Night, at the, Night at the Roxbury? No, I don't think so. I don't think I've no? ever seen that. 
You guys don't know what I mean? He's got the feathered hair. I, I mean, I've, I've not seen the wedding scene for a long time because that is set in you 85 like that, isn't it yeah i think that might be it like the key oh you're right it, it's it's the wedding singer okay yeah so that's the look i'm picturing for this story for your band mm-hmm. that's yeah. perfect no you pretty much nailed it that's what i was going okay. for yeah we, we got that part on lock yeah, I'm assuming there's like some extended scene where somebody from the band does a keytar solo in the middle of the dance floor. Yeah, oh, buddy, we yeah. are lingering on the band. We're, nice. we're staying there for a while. Like we're <laughs> see. Must Dave, be, that's a deep cut pick. I, I was trying to do some yeah. that were a little more off the beaten path. Of course, the lawnmower man again. It's been adapted, but yeah the the wedding the wedding gig would be one of those where like you could attach King's name to it. And I feel like just because of that, it would be a hit. Well, I'm on board with Larry Cohen for sure. If we can go back in time, and get Moriarty in there too. I'm hundred percent in. Well, it, it, that probably sprung to mind. Cause I just watched uh, the ambulance, which is yeah. a Larry Cohen directed film. And it is, I was about to say great. That's not the best descriptor of it. It's really fun. It's a really fun movie. If you can get a hold of that one it's uh it's a good time james earl jones plays a cop in it but i will check that out <laughs> dave i cannot wait to hear yours I, I was reading through it a little bit earlier and i got really excited so uh, what yeah, are I didn't read them at all so i can be surprised what are your second and third picks okay my second and third pick so this challenge of coming up with i was trying to go for new adaptations um and I, i've tried to approach in a way where I'm picking ones that I think these new adaptations would actually, not just for the purposes of this conversation, but for the purposes of making suitable art, they would be best served by fully embracing all things psychotronic. Like if these try to be serious, they will totally fail. But if they <laughs> embrace the spirit of everything that your that your wonderful podcast celebrates, then <laughs> they're going to be beautiful and terrible at the same time, but mainly beautiful. Love so, where you're heading with this. So my, my first choice, I decided to look at what novels have not been adapted. And I landed on The Regulators. Now, um, I know this one has actually recently been picked up. Um, I think George Cowan is going to lead on it for Bohemia Group. Um, but let's face it, they are going to do it wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So have you, have you guys, I take it, you, have you both read The Regulators? Yes. Regulators and... is one I've not gotten to yet. True, okay. I think okay. you'll enjoy it. I did not love it, but well, I appreciated well, Drew... how grimy it was. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But so, that's... so Drew, yeah. so, so Drew, and, and anyone else who hasn't read it, like a, a brief summary. It's kind of so. It's a, it's a weird companion, weird mirror piece to Desperation. So we have the same characters from Desperation, but put through a bit of a blender, shake, shaken up a little bit, and in a different situation. So we have this this pleasant suburban street that is suddenly attacked by fictional power ranger type beings. And then the street is turned into a child's rendition of a wild West town, all done through the mind of an autistic boy who has been possessed by a demon called tack. Like again, we're in, this is psychotronic, right? Yeah. And, and what I love about the book is we get this, we get this mashup of like the real world and the child's cartoon world. sort of smashing together. And so to embrace that, what I want to see when they make this is actually do that. So we have a mixture of live action and animation. So it's like, 
Ooh. It's like a really fucked up bed knobs and broomsticks. Ooh. That's the vibe I'm going for. I mean, thinking back to the book, like the opening scene for this is like super bloody. We we have one point in the book where a character taking a dump is a key plot point, and it's just <laughs> generally a really silly story. So it's just this is king it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's perfect for a psychotronic adaptation. Like I am fearful that they're going to try and do something too serious with this one that's actually happening. Forget that. Just yeah. just watch some watch some of those old movies get the animation in make it weird it could be it could be like chef's kiss totally totally could be i would definitely i would watch that that's for sure yeah Yeah, i love this love this direction because yeah you're right too many movies now take themselves too seriously like if you you know have your tongue firmly in cheek that could be something really fun yeah yeah and well stick with that as an idea for a state of mind because my my second idea um it kind of harks back to something i mentioned earlier on um, and that is the anthology so i i have a plan for a new anthology of king stories um and this this anthology is going to be done in a really campy psychotronic style with a cheesy wraparound and loads of terrible special effects and i once i started thinking about this the thing just just fell out so like strap in get comfy because i'm taking you through the full movie here yay so here we go so the anthology the anthology is going to be entirely based around stories from um the 2015 collection the, the bazaar of bad dreams but that title is a bit it, it's kind of a bit silly it's, it sort of trips you up a little bit for the adaptation so we're just calling it stephen king's bad dreams so immediately i've, I've made the title worse we're setting the tone for how this is going to play out and this is where we go so we're going to start off with our lead character the person to be def- to be decided yet but they are really flustered in an airport they're trying to get hold of their luggage and we soon realize that they've their luggage has gotten lost and, and this person is late for a meeting and they are stressed but eventually they grab their bag they get into a taxi and as the taxi drives out of the airport our main character sees two men outside they've been in a bit of a fender bender and they're having a fight and then a third older guy gets out one of the cars and stabs one of the fighters with a state knife. Now, bear in mind, this is just a wraparound story, so we don't linger on here. That's just okay. a little nod to the story Batman and Robin have an altercation. So that's that's yeah. first one checked off. Nice. And our lead character sort of blinks, looks away and sees nothing and then sort of settles back. And then they go to pull out their Kindle. And then the taxi driver notices and says, oh, I've got a funny story I heard once about this weird pink Kindle. And then we go into our first segment, which is You Are, which is, again, they're all stories from Bizarre of Bad Dreams. So that story is a tale about a Kindle from another dimension that lets you access works from famous authors that aren't available in our world and also allows you to see the future. So naturally, as a 15 to 20 minute section in an anthology, I mean, that's got psychotronic rent all over it. So we, we do that. We do that. We get done with that story. We're back in the taxi. The taxi has now hit traffic. So our lead character again looks out the window and they see this little kid with ginger hair poking out of a beanie. And it's the child from the story, Bad Little Kid. And he's there causing some kind of mischief. And the driver looks out and is like, you know, I would love to go and slap that little shit, but I would never get away (laughs) with it with so many people around. And that makes our lead character go, well, Funny enough, I've got a weird story about that. And we go into the we go into the section morality. 
Now, again, if you've not read the story, that's it's a frankly weird story about an old man who pays a couple thousands of dollars to go and video themselves slapping a child in a public playground. So again, <laughs> perfect fit. Segways lovely from oh, the, yeah. the wraparound story. Very odd, bizarre segment. We'll probably only spend like 10 minutes on this because we, we want to keep it, keep the pace high, but it's worth it's worth dipping into. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we do we do morality, we get back to the cab, they're still in traffic. And um for a little bit of distraction here, the driver gets a bit of a, a brief call through on his on his cell phone. And the driver ends up being a bit secretive and a bit sketchy and always looking back at this this passenger, our Ali character. Um and he sort of excuses himself to answer and um while he's doing that, our lead character takes out a newspaper from his bag and we have a little bit of back and forth. And then the driver hangs up, sees that the guy, um, the character in the back has reached the obituaries section. And he sort of jokingly says like something cheesy, like, oh, see anyone, you know, um, and the lead character. <laughs> Perfect. Like, and then the driver sort of reaches down, takes a swig of coffee from his flask. And he's like, you know, I've got a story about that section of the paper and it's all kind of weird. And of course, we go into the story obits. So again, if you've not read Obits, it's about a bitchy writer who ends up running the obituary section of a tabloid and soon discovers that he can kill people by writing their obituary while they're still alive. So again, I think that checks all the boxes for what we're looking for here. So we're still going. We're back in the cab. Driver's looking increasingly sketchy. Passenger looking stressed, keeps checking the time, asking how long they'd be, so worried they're going to miss their appointment. And and this was just a bit of a double take. It's like, hang on, does the driver look a bit different too? Is that driver's teeth longer? Is eyes a different colour? Anyway, that, that driver says all of the talk of, of obituaries has like reminded him of just one more great story. And funnily enough, there's just about enough time, given how much traffic there is, there's just enough time to tell it. So he's going to tell a story called Under the Weather. Now, this is my favourite story from Bizarre Bad Dreams. It's a kind of gross and nasty one. I'm not going to, this is the bit where I'm going to hold back on the pitch for the movie because I don't want to spoil the story, but um, it'd be a perfect closing main section here. But then we haven't finished the wraparound story. So we we get back to the cab again and our lead character is starting to look like decidedly green and the driver's looking really weird now as well. And then the driver looks up ahead and says, oh, the traffic's clearing. We'll be there in two minutes. And our passenger relaxes, leans back in their seat right at the moment that a bus pulls up alongside the cab and our lead character looks into that bus and is just totally transfixed by this beautiful woman reading a magazine sitting next to an odd looking man dressed in a black raincoat who is rummaging through a black briefcase and then the man takes out a black scarf and sniffs it before proceeding to cut the woman's throat placing the scarf around her neck to catch the blood and then sticking his finger in her mouth while smiling at our lead character and of course, this again is the story that bus is from another world. And our character gasps in shock as everyone else in the theatre will do. And then everything just goes off in the final 30 seconds. The driver transforms into a sleepwalker's reject. The lighting goes full creep show. He spins the wheel to the right. He zooms off down the side street away from the camera with our main character trapped in the back screaming, roll credits. Thanks for coming. I will not be taking any questions. Just green light this project now. Thank you very much. I love it. the only note that i have is i I can't believe you did that for free oh my god (laughs) i'm I'm willing i'm willing to put it out there to make it happen what a pitch it has has every psychotronic touch in there too what emily yeah now you you have to write it and send this out leave it with me 
Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there we go. I love that, it. That, that sounds like I uh, particularly love the transitions, the you know transitioning to each one. It's, it's love key. how you set it's those up. To make it's key to make the um, these anthologies more than just three or five stories lumped together. You've you've yeah. got yeah. to sort of work in a wraparound story. Like on an unrelated, uh, sort of related note, I've just read a, a book that's coming out in early October called The October Society, which is mm-hmm. by an indie author from um, from over here called Christopher Robertson. And he writes his books as if they think they're movies or TV shows. So okay. The October Society is like an anthology. So it's six short stories within a wider wraparound story. And the wraparound story he does is just as good as the short stories. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, check those out. It's like not quite as campy as a psychotronic movie, but they're they're really fun reads. Okay. But yeah, that, that was what got me thinking is like the wraparound is key. We need we need to make that yeah. in there. And if we can link those to some of the shorter stories from Bazaar of Bad Dreams, then it's gonna keep King re- readers happy as well. It's like it's all that sort of Easter egg stuff that the Dark Tower was trying, but not yeah. shit. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it's actually tied into the story and it's not just, oh my God, a red car. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, a St. Yeah. Bernard. Yeah. Ooh. It's actually in world. I'm just thinking about the ending. I gotta, I gotta see this now. Do I then? Yeah, I, I, I really should write it. Yeah. If, yeah. if this was an assignment, you definitely understood it. <laughs> There's no yeah. doubt about that. Do you want to do the honors of telling us about Donnie's last pick? Yeah. Find I'll, it up I'll... there. Yeah, I will. I will hold fire on doing Donnie's accent. I can hear it. I'm reading his notes, and I can hear it perfectly in my head. But I'm not. Yeah, you are. You are free to do it. We will encourage it. It is not required, but it is encouraged. I mean, I don't know if I can quite project and make it sort of loud enough. Um, No, I'm. I'm I'm just. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick with my my uninteresting, uninteresting accent and go for it. So his his other pick is um, the jaunt or. I guess he'd say the John. I, I don't know. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is the John. Something like that. It's kind of like a rest. You do of have it. There we go. But I'm, He's going to love this. I'm not, I'm not going to stick the rest of it. So um, the John is it was first published in Twilight magazine in 1981. And of course, later collected in Skeleton Crew from 1985. Um, so Donnie has asked the question. <laughs> everyone listening is probably asking, like, why has he picked this one? His answer is read the fucking story and you'll know something like that. Um, <laughs> that it's, that's it's really good. Yeah. So you see, because of the nature of the unknowable limits of the mind of time and space, etc., this one could be made on a on a shoestring. And he points out, and I think this is a this is really key to this. Like he says, we don't need to, and in fact, we shouldn't be seeing what happens when you're awake for the trip. Um, one of the most I terrifying agree. things is the unknown. So Donnie says he's just saved the entire effects budget and then he's literally just put drops mic so <laughs> he and i are both he and, he and i are both smashing it with the pitches i have to say uh, so it's absolutely. like a 20 minute it's like a 20 minute movie i get i get yeah, what he's well, going for but like what's the movie then? wasn't uh wasn't mushy i'm gonna butcher his name mushietti mushietti uh-huh. uh did it he wasn't he going his, to do the jaunt but there's he, he like will definitely show it. us junk yeah yeah and i think i think it would be better off if you didn't show it because he's right it's just how would you stretch it out to 90 minutes but well you could you could give it another anthology treatment right because Mm -hmm. the story has a bit of an anthology feel because you've got that section where 
the guy who discovers his wife's cheating on him just sends her into a jaunt with no destination. Like, oh, yeah. You could, you could stretch that out to a 10 or 15 minute section. You could build the tension between them, build the little scenes of her having an affair or whatever, or whatever. You've got you've got the, if memory serves me correctly, the stuff about like, they used, didn't they test it on prisoners, prisoners? and criminals? And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could, you could, you could build all those things in. Um, and I think like Donnie says, if the, the less you show, the more the tension's going to build there. I do agree with this, but hear me out. You just, for the jaunt part, you insert the boat ride scene from Willy Wonka. <laughs> that that would accomplish what you need. When he starts screaming, come on. So, yeah. and then you probably don't have to pay that much for that footage. So you're still saving money. No. No, I'm sure they'll basically give Stop that away. Chicken heads, like, come on. Yeah. But no, I, I don't think there's a, a filmmaker out there that has the restraint today to not show the jaunt. You know, no. I, I think yeah. whoever does it, they would absolutely show every nook and cranny of it and explain every bit of it. And there'd be nothing left to the imagination. Or maybe I'm just cynical. Eh, that, that could also be it. I guess I we'll find out when Donnie's a billionaire, though. Mm-hmm. We will. Is that another project that got dropped, uh, the jaunt? I haven't heard anything else about that. I think it's one of those ones that got announced and that is just ironically just bouncing around in the john waiting <laughs> waiting for something to happen i think yeah but they were talking about doing a series weren't they rather than just a rather than just a movie or a, a one-off they were talking about making it into a like an eight or a ten episode yeah. series which maybe which feels like what it is. really stretching it but because hmm. I, I feel like you just gotta let it all watch all the announcements you just gotta let them wash over you until it like actually shows up on your screen yeah, because yeah. I'm finding stuff from 2021, like February 2021, talking about, let's see, from Fear of, Fear of the Walking Dead co-creator Dave Erickson. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah, it looks like it was a series. You're right, Dave. It's but, like the Shivers remake that just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, you're so. right. You, you can't put too much stock into it because it seems like those announcements come and then you never hear anything else about them. Yeah. Unfortunately. Those are all of our picks. And now I'm going to ask y'all a question that is absolutely impossible to answer. And you're going to go, why are you doing this, Drew? Well, what is your favorite? You is, is your, oh, is wait, your question? Emily, yes. Is your question, what are Emily's picks? Yeah. Wait, Emily. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did I just get to do a blame Drew for something on my yes. Yes. the podcast? I, yes. I got so caught up. I, I, it, if I was a different person, I would cut this oh, out. No. But we have to keep this in here. Because Donnie has to see that it's not just him. I wondered why you were leaving me for last. Well, you don't so, leave the worst for last. No, yours. Yeah, and on a low note. <laughs> yours are really interesting too. I specifically like your second one. I was looking at the timestamp and I was like, oh, okay, it must be about that time. But no, now I just get to be red faced and say, uh, you know, let's throw it to Emily. I mean, I cannot go, you know. No, I, I would very much like for you to just, you know. I didn't follow dave anyway we we might we might need to just convince dave to, to come in and host and you know <laughs> yeah. get somebody that's not going to skip over his co-host there you go how's your uh, drew impression <laughs> oh yeah do you have I, one of those oh right after, no not not while you're on the call with me i'm not <laughs> brave enough to do that no, tell just me gotta, offline yeah <laughs> yeah or, or just ignore your co-host that's a pretty good drew impression too <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I'll Emily. send you a message, Dave, and you just leave me on red. <laughs> be... my, 
<laughs> actually gonna yeah that, that's a pretty good one all things yeah. considered yeah okay well gonna... I'll, we'll finish with mine that's that's fine so my second pick for my first this has not been adapted anywhere it's a very tight place which was originally published in McSweeney's but um was then collected in 2008 just after sunset and I will read the um little synopsis just because I personally like you tell me the title I have no clue what what story you're talking about like it just doesn't stick for me I always have to go so I had to like think about the stories that I want and then go look at his list and find them but anyway I think that's just me but it says so Curtis Johnson is a middle-aged gay gentleman and lured to a deserted construction site by his neighbor Tim Grunwald with whom he has been having legal disputes involving property rights and Curtis's beloved dog, Betsy, who was killed by Tim's electric fence. He's confronted by Tim, who forces him into a, it says portable toilet, but porta potty, um, locks him in and tips it down an embankment, leaving him trapped there in the heat of a Florida summer day to die. With no way to get help, Curtis must figure out how to escape or die. I think we can just go ahead and kind of spoil maybe for anybody who hasn't seen it because it's important to my movie vision to know that Curtis does get out and he kind of crawls through a whole bunch of a lot of stuff and then goes and shows up at Tim's house and confronts him and then I won't tell the rest of it but basically he does get out he's he's covered in everything he had to crawl through in that porta potty he goes and confronts Tim and comes out the victor in the end so I have two bullet points for why I picked this. Charles Band and women. So we're going full exploitation, psychotronic. Full Moon Features is doing this film for us. We are changing both characters to women. There will be gratuitous nudity. Somehow something comes off in the porta potty. You know, you just got to do Natural. it. There's gratuitous human waste coverage. Um, mm. There's some really good stuff later on with an unplugged in hairdryer thrown into a hot tub and just all sorts of stuff. I don't want to give away too much from there, but my vision is this is a full length Charles band feature because he absolutely would understand what to do with this story. And it's just total, like can't be exploitation. I, I almost picked this story as one of my choices. And when I was on my first draft, this was like my go-to pick from just after sunset. It's perfect. Yay, I feel good about my pick now. Same page. Yeah. And, so maybe and... I'll email, I'll email Charlie and be like, yeah, I got something for you. <laughs> yeah speaking of make sure you listen to our interview with charles band <laughs> but but no he he would absolutely understand what to do with this uh, i like i like both yeah. of your bullet points i can i can picture the poster right now it's you know like a backlit by lightning partially naked woman just covered in mud and filth kind of like maybe towering over something a tipped over porta potty something but i can see it it's a vision Charlie will be proud. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> I, know, I don't even like boobs, but they got to be in the story. He he probably has that poster made somewhere and he's just forgotten about it. Yeah. <laughs> we can hope. All right. So my second pick, our final pick here is Here There Be Tigers, which is 1985 Skeleton Crew. Um, quick synopsis. Charles is a third grader. He really needs to go to the bathroom. I actually just realized I picked like two bathroom stories, but I think I've been reading too much King, I guess. So Three that don't read into that. It means it means nothing. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> it, I'm I looking three within, is I'm a looking trend. Within, okay, nobody examined this too closely. Oh my God. I'm looking within <laughs> right now. Okay, move keep going. 
So <laughs> he needs to go to the bathroom and his mean teacher, Miss Bird, won't let him go or she has to she asks if he has to go and she won't let him go. And she embarrasses him by asking like stupid questions about urination. Arriving at the lavatory, he peeks around the corner, sees a tiger lying on the bathroom floor. Then yada, yada, yada. Another kid comes, might get eaten by the tiger. The teacher comes, might get eaten by the tiger. And this one kind of sprung to mind really just more on a visual. Like I just felt like this visually could be really psychotronic. I mean, the story's pretty slight. It's really short. I think it gets written off is pretty slight like there's just not that much to it it's definitely not like his best work I think um you know he I think he wrote it pretty early on I can't remember if it was in something before a skeleton crew do you know Dave I am almost certain it was I know it was yeah. also it's also um in the movie of the dark half that's what the uh that's what Thad Tad is is writing as a child when he uh when it all kicks off in his head and he has to go in for surgery he's writing here there be tigers I have not seen that, but that sounds pretty psychotronic too. That's a psychotronic book oh, yeah. for sure. Um, Wikipedia says it was that... originally published in the spring 1968 issue of Ubris Magazine. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I think it was him just kind of like getting something on paper. I don't think there's too much to it. But what I think it has potential is as as a short, it's not like a full length movie by any means, um, but as a as a stop motion picture specifically by Ray Harryhausen, which I don't know if you guys know, you know who he is, but he is absolutely revered for his stop motion. He invented a technology dynamation for stop motion. Um, if you guys have seen the 1963 Jason and the Argonauts, um, which if you haven't seen, you definitely at least know the scene I'm referencing where oh, yeah. they're fighting like seven skeletons. Yeah. That was him. So I'm just picturing uh -huh. a tiger like that and a little boy like that and a teacher like that. And you, I think you got to add in a few more deaths. Maybe the tiger talks. I'm not like totally decided on that because I can't decide who I'd want to be the voice. But I'm just picturing like you get little glimpses of a stop motion tiger like around the stall before you finally see it. And I think it could just be really effectively creepy and, and weird. Definitely. So I was, you know, I was trying to go with something off the beaten path. Creed. It, def it definitely is one of those that stands out. Uh, when you read Skeleton Crew, you're like, oh, this is unique. Uh, yeah. There's just nothing else really like it out there when you're reading King. But no, I, the the stop, stop motion, too, just lends itself to being so creepy. Yeah. So you would have that built in right there from the jump. Yeah. Or kind of like the, like the Coraline feel, you know, just Ooh. weird. And I'm like picturing the background could even just be like, like swirling swirls i mean you can't be you, you're not in my head so you don't know what i see in my head right now but it looks really cool you guys we, we will when you get the movie made we'll, we'll understand <laughs> when I get the it movie all made, yeah i mean ray harry has this another one donnie's funding yeah who i don't know i was trying to think who's more of a contemporary stop motion i mean i guess whoever did Coraline. i mean you could say what's his what's his name who did fantastic mr fox wes anderson whoever mm -hmm. did that kind of type of thing style for him could really translate it to it too but donnie is gonna kill me who i've not seen mad god but isn't that stop motion phil yeah Tippett? i don't know who did that because that's phil like Tippett. years and years and years right yeah so i'm reading about it now uh handcrafted and painstakingly animated using traditional stop motion techniques so phil Tippett, is that right yeah so I've not yeah. seen that one, but I've heard amazing things. I know Donnie really, really enjoys it. Well, there you go. Like five on Letterboxd. Yeah. So anyway, I bet you're sorry you skipped me. <laughs> we yeah, ended well, on I'm... 
here there'll be tigers but you know. uh, i just now stopped sweating and i think my face is back to its normal coloring and you know i, I gotta look at it the, on the bright side where we've got another fun blame drew moment where <laughs> you know i get to feel bad and the discord gets to have fun so, I really appreciate you doing one just just for me. I, I, know. Yeah, I feel already part of the family now. Thank you. It's what like, what y'all don't know, wait. yeah. What y'all don't know is, I mean, just part of my my overall brilliance here is I've actually built that into the script. Y'all don't see it. I've got a different one, and yeah. I've got in here. Here's an opportunity for a blame Drew moment. So, you know, oh, it's boy. it's all part of the script. But well, you know, as our new fearless leader, welcome, Dave. It's great to have you on board, taking Drew's place. Yeah, yeah, you, you've earned it. Yeah, or I'm, I'm really glad you, you came up with this one, though. This was really fun. And when you first suggested it, I was like, man, I can't think of any stories. But really, I just had to go through and remember their titles. And I ended up with I think I said I had like 11 picked wow. that I had like different ideas for. And then I had to narrow it down because you know what? Our guy King is like, he's a weird dude. He yeah, <laughs> he he's lends some weird stuff out there. Electronic, yeah. He's got some, you know. He's he's got some mainstream, but he he explores the weird corners of our minds. I think so. This was really fun. Mm, definitely, absolutely. The question that I was going to ask, and now I just feel ridiculous even asking it because I jumped over Emily for it, and it's the most simple and stupid question ever: is that what are your what are your favorite King novels? That's really what I was going to ask. That simple of a question. My my favorite King novel. Yeah, I if, mean, you, my if all you time, had to say what it is. My all-time favorite is The Dead Zone, quite quite comfortably. And then like two and three is always It and Pet Cemetery, and they sort of rotate in those slots depending on what mood I'm in. But yeah, The, the Dead Zone for me just, just completely captivated me first time I read it. And uh, yeah, I, st- I just still completely love it. I'm... I, when I get spare moments, I'm trying to to write a podcast treatment of it. So I'm doing like a, I'm oh, trying wow. to come up with like a true crime podcast telling of the dead zone. Um, oh wow! So I, hey, that I, sounds I sent, great. Well, I, I sent episode one to um to King's um agent um Chuck Chuck Verrill um mm-hmm. a couple of years ago um and never heard anything from it and then obviously sadly he, he passed uh, away obviously um, i don't think you're gonna hear back from him no i don't, I don't think so but you know i'll keep plugging away i'm, I'm yeah. it's, it's one of those ones i'm trying to make work but uh yeah it's just such a such a wonderful book i, I love it completely Emily, and i realized how difficult that question was for you because i know you we were talking about this with favorite movies of the day like where we both just get kind of locked up when people ask us that question it's a tough one. This one's relatively easy because I just close my eyes and I say it's, it's Salem's Lot. That yeah. was one of the earlier ones. I mean, obviously, I read the whole Dark Tower series first, but that one, I just could go back to it a million times. It's, I mean, his world building, maybe not lately is like that good. <laughs> you know, that's another conversation. But his his world building, his town, his, like his character building the vignettes in that like it's just that's his absolute strength and i think you know like the two main characters are like slightly underwhelming but it doesn't even matter because they're incidental to that whole town that he's created and flashes out in the course of one book so i just think it's i think that's that's a great book so yeah that's my that's my favorite and it's still scary it still freaks me out when you read it yeah it's just so good yeah i had a couple of friends that wanted to start reading king and they asked what they should read and 
I got them both copies of Salem's Lot. This fucking yeah. is kind of a, a nice, a nice gateway in. Yeah, it's but, you know, it's not too far off the reservation with some weird stuff. Like I would never start someone with desperation, even though I do really yeah. like desperation. But it's just, it's just classic. It's just everything he does right in one in one book. Welcome to Stephen mm-hmm. King. Here's Insomnia. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> love Insomnia, though. Let's just put it on the record. I, I, I do too. One of my favorites. Looking through the script, making sure once and for all that I'm not going to skip over anybody your, and embarrass myself and my family. Yeah, what's your favorite? You just my skipped favorite. your <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I was trying to kind of delay this. Um, I, I would probably say Needful Things. I, I really, really love Needful Things. The satirical elements of it. It's, it's funny. It, like, I feel like King often tries to be funny and it falls flat, but in Needful Things, it lands for me. And the setting, I really love just being in Castle Rock. But, but no, I'd, I'd have to say have to say needful things and then followed by it the dead zone and salem's lot probably and the shinings in there somewhere too yeah needful things when it when it goes off like that destruction that chaos is just unbeatable it's it's so good i don't know it just feels like it's all the things i love about king and you know kind of distilled yeah yeah that's a good pick. And the the first the first song on the latest the new album from Stray from the Path is called Needful Things. I don't think it has anything to do with the book, but it's it's, it's a rager, so it's worth checking out. <laughs> Still fun to see that that name pop up. Definitely. But Dave, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about. I think it's fair to say one of our favorite people that has ever lived. Uh, not hyperbole. Uh, Please. Please feel free to share your thoughts on our picks as well as provide some of your own. We'd love to hear them out there on social media. Uh, tell Emily why she's wrong about fairy tale. But Dave, where can everybody um, everything find everything I talked about today? You think fairy tale is the one I'm the most wrong about? I I feel like it's I so fresh that people that's what people would come after you for. That's true. Or they or they would throw money at you to get here. There'd be tigers made. Yeah, but. <laughs> Dave, where can everybody find you? And do you have anything you'd like to share with everybody? Yeah, sure. I th- thank you again so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed myself. Um, and thank you for the kind words. It's, it's very nice of you to say. So people can find me on YouTube. Um, just search for Dave Reeves King. So I, I, I'm i going through all of his books in chronological order and trying to give you 19 reasons to read each one. Um, so I'll have just got to sleeping beauties by the time this drops so very nearly done um but yeah dave reads king on youtube i should say I'm, I'm i've got plans for once i get to the end of the books as well i'm not just going to give up at that point um <laughs> and then i've got at dave musson on instagram and twitter so yeah what what have i got coming up well i mentioned where i'm at with the uh, the stuff on youtube um i think i was telling you guys before we push record i've, I've just been I've just been offered a, a new gig as a uh, sort of Stephen King related research assistant to the fantastic Scott Woods so I'm, I'm helping him um, just do some of the preparatory work for his um, excellent lecture on Stephen King and the magical Negroes um, mm-hmm. so sort of helping him with some of the, the the wider reading sort of plugging the gaps of bits that he hasn't had a chance to read yet so really congratulations on that. To that thank yeah, you awesome. yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah and, and like people should check out the lecture for sure he there's a version on youtube um that was delivered february of this year two hours really 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 worth spending that time checking that out 
And then lastly, I'm going to I'm going to say it on here because I think it will actually hold me to it and force me to do it. because It's <laughs> been on my to do list for months and I keep putting it off for no other reasons than laziness. But I have been attempting to try and do a bit of fiction writing myself over the last couple of years. I've had a couple of things picked up and published, which has been really nice. And obviously I'm still doing the YouTube. So what I'm what I'm going to do and I'm going to make it happen because I'm saying it on this podcast now is very soon so within within a week or so i'm gonna say at this podcast dropping um Ooh. i'm gonna i'm gonna launch sign up to my what's gonna be a, a a newsletter where i will promote the stuff i'm doing on youtube give a shout out to a, an indie horror writer who people should check out and i'm gonna throw in a free piece of micro fiction of my own at the end of each newsletter for something to wow. read and i'm gonna launch it with a little I guess like an EP of my writing. So I'm putting together a, a quick release that is a story that I had published in a book last year called Mirrored um, Short Story. It's about 8,000 words. And then I've got 10 tiny tales of terror, which are 10 micro pieces of fiction. Um, so if you sign up for the mailing list, you will get that as an ebook for free to give you a sample of what my writing is like. And then you will have me in your inbox every week um, talking about all of that kind of stuff and it's going to happen now because i said it on here so hey. that's coming very soon and you're the first guys i've actually told about that outside of my head so uh, thank you happening. that's exciting congratulations well, now that you've brought it really up cool. i will consistently ask you about it until it happens so cool do do that's, that's true that's the pressure i need <laughs> yeah we're definitely going to be looking forward to that emily uh anywhere people can find you or uh no nope there we go. Nope. Short and sweet this time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to do a better job of not jumping over Donnie than when he's actually here. You can find Donnie at Donnie underscore does underscore horror on Instagram. And then you can also find him on, I'm having to look this up on the fly, but I didn't want to jump over two people. Well, uh, he says don't mention his Twitter anymore. Don't mention his Twitter anymore. Okay. Yeah, because he doesn't we, do anything on there. Well, you can find him at Donnie underscore MCH on Letterboxd. I know he loves when people follow him on there to talk about movies. Um, you can find more of me at R2D Drew underscore on Instagram at Drew White 36 underscore on Twitter and at DS White 36 on Letterboxd. And then you can also find us at Psychotronica with two underscores on Twitter. That's another good blame Drew moment there. And mm -hmm. at Psychotronica Pod on Instagram, as well as at Psychotronica on Letterboxd. Uh, go listen to our recent episode on Just Before Dawn as well. At, well, that's actually dropping on Monday, doing some time traveling here. That will be available by the time <laughs> that this comes out. Um, you can also find our interview with Greywood's plot actor, Daniel Degnan. Reminder that Greywood's plot, a movie that we have been championing, is now available to stream everywhere. So you can go back and listen to our interview with Daniel and also our interview with Josh Stifter. Anything you guys wanted to add before we got out of here today? No. Not from me. If yep. not, then beep, beep, psychos. We'll see you next time. Bye.